Man, I think God's in the house. What do you think? I just love to worship with God's people. You know, it's a joy to be here this morning. It really is. It's an honor to be able to to step in and to continue what Pastor Steve has started with us when we uh, today we're going to look at, you know, crossing over the Jordan to follow the Lord. We're going to spend our time this morning in Joshua chapter 3. And I'll do my best to keep my voice for the morning. We're continuing in our 40-day journey together. But at the same time, we're embarking on our mission to take back the peninsula. Today, we're going to continue with the opportunity to consider our own commitment. We're going to be able to look at our own decision, whether to follow Jesus into battle or not. See, it's not by accident that we have been reading together the New Testament over these 180 days. We've done this specifically with a thought and a reason in mind. See, reading each chapter, one at a time, gives us an opportunity to respond to what's in that chapter, to the principles, to the teachings, to the Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And it's a powerful discipline that's bearing fruit for many people in our congregation right now. For many people, they're getting a deeper and more complete understanding of what it is that God's speaking through His Word and what He's speaking into their lives. Biblical illiteracy is one of the strongholds of the enemy over the church as a whole. And biblical illiteracy is being defeated one day, one chapter, and one journal entry at a time. Amen? When you spend that time reading the Word, when you are disciplined to be able to engage at depth, not necessarily for a long period of time, but at depth, really reading, really thinking about what God is saying in His Word, and then putting something down of how it applies to you, that is the very key to unlocking the shackles of illiteracy. We begin to understand what it is that the Spirit is saying to us and guiding us in His Word. The 30 days of prayer and fasting, it is a very personal time, a very personal call. This 30 days is for us individually to really seek the Lord's face, to be able to focus on Jesus. That's the purpose of fasting. The purpose is not to be miserable. It's to be reminded. It's to to take something that is common, to set it aside and in its place say, God, you are so important. This is such a significant time that I'm going to set that thing aside. I'm going to set that meal aside. I'm going to set that entertainment aside. I'm going to set that, that thing aside And I'm going to give that attention to you. I'm going to focus on you because I would normally do that and that is common and and that's something that's a part of my everyday. And God, I'm going to replace it with you. You're that important. Fasting is about focusing on Jesus, about focusing on God. And prayer is the way that we bring that fasting into focus and hear even more fully what the Spirit is speaking to us. In the last couple of days of our reading, we've seen the power of prayer and fasting. It said that the church prayed and fasted with unity, and Peter was released from prison. Literally, you know, walking out of there, something like a sci-fi show, because all the guards were still there. 
And it even says that the gate opened of its own accord and Peter walked out. By prayer and fasting, they heard the call to take Paul and Barnabas and to send them out as missionaries. By prayer and fasting, the Gentiles were brought into the church and it became one unified church with both the Jewish believers and the Gentiles. And we see the church expanded. Prayer and fasting. It's not too late to get involved. And it's very significant because this is also a time of training. Our 30 days together is specifically set aside so that we can be prepared for an entire season of prayer an entire season of spiritual warfare that's taking place. There's already battle plans being laid out from now till the end of the year of how we are literally going to go every section of this peninsula. We are going to pray and fast. And as a body, we are going to drive out darkness. Amen? We are going to make a difference in our community. We are going to become light in a dark place. That's the battle that we've been called to take on together and to honor our God. 40 days of abiding. What we've been doing over these past weeks, it's, it's part of the plan. And the plan is to drive the understanding of abiding of Jesus deeply into our character so that it becomes rooted in who we are, not what we know, but who we are, so that we will be prepared to do the work and to carry out the mission that God has called us to in this community. See, over these last couple of months, we've clearly seen and learned that it's absolutely vital to draw life from Jesus. We cannot do this by ourselves. That picture of abiding is like that of a grapevine where the vine itself has been cut and scored and the branch has been grafted in and then tied into place. And that branch begins to draw life out of that vine. And that's exactly what he's saying to us. Jesus is the one that was broken. Jesus is the one that was cut. He's the one that was scored. And we have been grafted into him to draw life out of Jesus. Abiding him is vital to our own spiritual lives. It's also vital to our missional success. We will not drive the darkness off of this peninsula without His power within us. We learned from Ruth that we must be wholeheartedly committed. We have to be 100% all in. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. But it does mean that we have to give our hearts 100% to God. That we need to be all in. Whatever you say, God. Whatever your plan is. Whatever you lead us to do. Lord, I'm all in. Even if I mess it up and I make a mistake. God, you've got all of my heart. You have all of my commitment. Everything that makes me, me, is now yours. It's the same thing that was said. That where Jesus goes, I will go. Where Jesus goes, I will follow. We spent a good deal of time studying through Luke's gospel account of the life and the teachings of Jesus. We learned right along with Peter that following Jesus doesn't always make sense in human terms. You know, Jesus said, throw the net on the other side. And Peter said, but God, we've, we've been at this all night. I'm a fisherman. We've caught nothing. It doesn't make sense. But okay, 
You're the teacher. I'll obey because you're the teacher. I'll give you the respect. And they threw the nets and what happened? See, it doesn't always make human sense. But Jesus has a plan that makes sense in him. He has a plan for what he wants to accomplish. And at that moment, it was to convince Peter and others that he was who he said he was and to draw them more deeply into relationship with him. Jesus has a plan, and it doesn't always make sense through our eyes and through human wisdom. One of the great lessons that we've learned is that Jesus chose us. We did not choose him. How arrogant is it of believers to say, all right, God, I'm on your team, now take care of me. Man, God, you're lucky that I decided to choose you. You're lucky that I decided to, to become part of your family. You're lucky that I decided to, to choose eternal life, so you owe me, God. Now, we wouldn't say that with our words, but we sure say it with our attitudes. Because you don't give me what I want, I'm out of here. You don't give me what I want, man, then I'm not going to give my tithe. I'm not going to invest my time and my energy. Things don't go the way I expect. Now I'm going to go to another church. I'm going to go somewhere where it's easier. That's how you tell God that he's here to serve you instead of the other way around. God's calling us to understand that we did not choose him. He chose us. He gave us an invitation. And then we responded. And he chose very common individuals who he invested his life into. And they changed the world. They changed the world because of what he had invested into them. We learned from the centurion what faith looks like. It's not about all kinds of hoopla and fanfare and all kinds of, of different things. You say the word, God. If it's according to your will and you say the word, done. I have faith that it's done. I understand authority. We need to understand God's will so we can speak in faith. Jairus and the woman who reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' robe. They taught us that we should expect miracles from Jesus. That we should expect that He cares about us and that He'll take care of us and that He's moved because of His love for us. And from the three men who chose not to follow, that had something else more important, that needed to go take care of some sort of business or needed to go take care of some other thing, we see that Jesus requires us to at times experience sacrifice. It might be the sacrifice of a relationship. It's more likely to be the sacrifice of time, energy. It might be the sacrifice of doing what God wants me to do instead of me doing everything that I want to do. Because not everything I want to do, as good as it might be, has eternal value. He expects us to experience and practice commitment. How do you think it would have worked out if Jesus got tired of walking on earth and gave up before he got to the cross? Might have worked out pretty well for him, but the rest of us, it had been too bad. He expects us to live out commitment. 
commitment to what we're called to, commitment to what we have given ourselves to, to what we have committed to. He expects us to live that out in passion. He expects us to have a greater affinity and drive for His vision, for His plan, for His desires than for our own. He gave us passions. He gave us spiritual gifts and heart and abilities and a heart to do certain things. And He gave us a personality and experiences. And He he shaped us that way. But He says in all that, you need to be passionate about me first and my plan. We need to be all in. Completely committed. As believers, we learned what it meant that we have the delegated authority of Jesus Christ. He doesn't tell us to go do foolish things like jump off the pinnacle of the temple or you know, go put our hand in a snake pit or play with scorpions. It's not what he's saying, but he's saying... When you chase after my will, when you seek to know me through prayer and fasting, when you operate according to my will, nothing will harm you. Even if you lose your life, nothing will harm you because I'm looking at you through the lens of eternity. I'm looking at you through the lens of what my plan is for you and for your life. And I will protect you. And I will take care of you. And in the Good Samaritan, we began to understand how is it that compassion in the heart of Jesus is best revealed. If we're going to be Jesus to the community around us, if we're going to be Jesus in the world that is skeptical and hostile, the best way for us to be Jesus is to show compassion and to do good works in accordance with His plan to reveal his heart by dealing with integrity with the people around us. When we begin to weigh all these lessons together that we've learned, because these are all the things that we've learned over these past couple of months together, we realize God is calling us to make a decision. He's, He's bringing us right now to a place to look at what he's calling us to. To make a decision about what we will consider valuable. What are we going to consider valuable about our community? About our life? About our time? About our investment into others? How are we going to live? He's bringing us to a place to consider that today. How are you going to live your life? What's it going to look like? What what are the practices going to look like? What's your calendar going to look like? Because if you really want to know what you value in life, look at where you spend your time and your money. That shows you what is really important. And he's calling us today to take an honest look. And who will we follow? Are we going to follow the trends of our culture? Are we going to follow the dictates of a court system that more and more is saying things that are transgress God's law are legal in our country, so now we're going to bow the knee and say, okay, we'll accept that? Are we going to follow a governor or a president? Are we going to follow some well-known personality 
Or are we going to follow God? Are we going to make Him first and foremost? And the only way we can do that is by chasing after God ourselves. We're coming to a decision point. And this is the same point that Israel came to as they approached the Jordan River that was across from Jericho. This is exactly where they were at. Look with me at Joshua chapter 3 and see what we can learn from their experience. I want you to remember a few things as we begin to move through this passage. It's been 40 years since they left Egypt. Over 40 years. Most of the people have no idea what it's like to live in slavery. God reminds us that we were slaves to sin, but we are no longer slaves to sin. I want you to remember that Moses had just passed away. The one that they had really learned to trust his judgment and his leadership. The one that they had followed for all that time, Moses is dead. And they have a new leader now, Joshua. They knew him. He'd been around. But he was still a new leader. Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. And he said to the children of Israel, and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. And so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. And they commanded the people saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. And I want you to be very sensitive to how many times he talks about the Ark of the Covenant in chapter 3. Because it's meaningful. So be aware of that as we go through this passage. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priest, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way before. This is new ground. This is new territory. What do you think those three days were like? Three days to look at the flooded river. We live in the Pacific Northwest. It rains a lot here. We've seen a number of our rivers flood. And every single time they flood, houses get washed away. Bridges get washed out. People lose significant property and they, they have significant damage. We've seen what can take place because of the power of a flood, the power of water unleashed. They had three days to consider Israel's past. They had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea, but do you realize 
none of the people of Israel except for Joshua and Caleb walked through the Red Sea. All the rest were lost in the wilderness. Only those two would have that memory of seeing the sea parted and walking through on dry ground. They had a chance to think about the battles that they had fought leading up to this time and the the kings that had been defeated. They had a chance to think about the manna and the quail and how God had provided for them. They had three days to consider what laid ahead. God said, we're going into the promised land. Man, it's been a battle to get here. I know there's going to be battles when we cross over. God said that we're crossing over into the promised land and that we'll be settled. We'll, we'll finally not be nomadic anymore, but we'll, we'll have a place. They had three days to really think about what was to come. And then consider the Ark of the Covenant. Why is that so? It was their greatest treasure. The Ark of the Covenant represented God to them. You need to understand when you, you talk about the Ark, that inside of the Ark were the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Were the tablets that had been brought down off the mountain. Were, were the tablets that God had inscribed with His own hand. Inside of that ark was a jar with manna in it that represented how God took care of them when there was no possible way for them to provide for themselves. Inside of the ark was Aaron's rod that budded and showed the great power and new life in God. So what's important is he's saying, When you see the ark, when you see the Levites with the ark, when you see it, go ahead. He's saying, follow God. Follow after God. But why a distance? One, to show respect. But I believe even more importantly was to allow them to see the ark lead. See, a couple of thousand cubits, that's kind of a a distance that we're not very familiar with. I'm a pilot and I love to fly. And and the runway at Bremerton Airport is twice that length. So 2,000 cubits is about half the length of the runway at Bremerton Airport right out here. But it's close enough that you can look and see. It's right there. I can see the ark, I can see the priest, I can see what's taking place. But it's far enough away that almost everybody else can see it too. Because there's a distance and it's, it's leading the way out in front. It's like the distance that if you stood in front of the church building today and you looked down the hill to where the bridge is that crosses Kitsap Way, it's like looking just through the other side of that bridge. That's how far away it was. It was far enough to be clear and to be visible, but close enough to be recognizable. God's saying, don't get ahead of God. Don't get so close to your own wisdom that you lose sight of where I'm leading you. That whole passage talks about following God because you don't know the way yet. This is the darkest place in our state. 
God has called us to work with him to make it the best place in the state. But we haven't been down that way yet. And God's calling us to follow him. Joshua 3, 5. Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What does that mean, sanctify yourself? He's calling us and he's saying, prepare yourselves. Examine yourselves. Where are you at in life right now? He's like, get away from sin. Get away from those things in your life that are known sin or those things in your life that may not be sinful, but God has said, for you, I want you to let this go. For you, I want you to do something different. God's saying, examine yourself. Sanctify yourself. Be separated for the things that God has called you to do. Get away from sin. Get your life right. Be clean before your God. To sanctify means to not allow the day or the event or the calling to become common. Don't treat God as if He's here to serve us. This is God's plan. We were chosen by God. We are His people. And He is setting out before us the pathway to go. God's saying, don't let that become common. Sanctify yourself. Understand. This is very much what God is saying to us specifically and individually today. Get right. Get ready. See, that's what, what we've been doing over these past months is preparation. Be prepared. The 40 days of abiding is all about really focusing us on our need to abide in Jesus Christ. To draw life from Him. To draw strength from Him. To draw wisdom from Him. To be abiding in the leading of the Holy Spirit. The 180 days of reading through the New Testament together is about helping each one of us to get refocused on spending time in God's Word. Really reading it for ourselves. Understanding what each chapter, what each principle, what each teaching is. As much as I would say, listen to what Pastor Steve says. Listen to what I say. The only way to do this in the right way is you need to go home today and study it yourself. Look up the passages. Read the Word. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you inside of you what is the application. That's the 180 days. And the 30 days of prayer and fasting is about helping us to be laser focused on the call of God. To hear individually, what's your part, Ken? What's your part, Adam? What is God calling you to do? And, and to teach you about the power of prayer and the power of fasting. Because when we get done with the 30 days, we're entering a spiritual battle. We are going to, with the power and by the leadership of God, to drive the darkness out of this peninsula and to go from the least faithful place in our state to become the most faithful place in our state. And we're going to do that because God has called us to do that. And we're going to do that because we have faith to follow God in doing that. And that's the last thing is he says, 
When you sanctify yourselves, expect wonders. Expect God to do what only God can do, the miracle. Joshua goes on, starting in verse 6, and he said, Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. But I want you to pay attention to this next piece. Do I have your attention? Are you here? The Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. You shall command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the, the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. What's God saying here? He says, I'm your God. I'm God of the living. I'm not God of the dead. I will be with you, Joshua, the same way that I was with Moses. And, and he's saying, you can't live off of what Moses did. You can't live off of Moses' victories. You can't live off of his momentum. You can't live off of his leadership now. Joshua, Moses is dead. But I will be with you. I will be your God. Joshua, I'm, I'm making a commitment to you that as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I am God of the living. You will get the same benefits of walking with me when you listen to me. When you know and follow what you know to be right my will, you will get the same benefits. You will get the same leadership from me, Joshua. I will invest into you. And I will give you the same help. See, as believers, especially in our culture today, we tend to live off of the stories of the past. We tend to miss the fact that God is the God of the living, talking to us. We look at Peter, and we look at Paul, and we look at James, and, and we look at the stories, and, and somehow we think that, you know, that's God, that's power, that's, you know, God did that, but that's not for me. But if I hang on to that enough, maybe I'll get a taste. We live as if God was God of the, the dead, as God was God of the past. It's about us having faith in Him, not just faith in the stories. God was saying and doing something powerful in Joshua's life and his experience. He's doing the same for us right now. Appreciate the victories. You know, God tells us the Seder is an appreciation of the victory. And it gives us a place to learn something even deeper about communion. But he's saying, don't get anchored to the Seder. Don't get anchored to the Passover. Don't get anchored to the past, but bring all of that understanding into your present life and understand that I'm speaking to you right now 
to do these things and to live this way. He's telling us to have faith and to expect that he is going to do similar things today. God is not dead. God is the God of the living. And we must understand and act on that truth by faith. And we are being called to move forward with an expectation. He is calling us to move forward with what we've been called to and expect that this community is going to be different because we're in it. That this community is going to be different because we pray and we fast and we walk and we ride and we climb and we, we drive and we go to the different places and we literally take God with us and begin to take His authority that He's given us and to see our community and our peninsula changed. And he goes on and he says, Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Pezerites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and I guess any other ites that get in the way. He says, Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. Isn't that a great title? The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. I'm going first. I'm leading the way. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass as soon as the sole of their feet of the priest who hear, who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream and they shall stand as a heap. The stage is being set for them to make a decision. Are you going to follow or not? God is giving them a promise. The waters will be cut off. Your enemies will be defeated. You'll be able to cross the Jordan. The promise also had steps that had to be obeyed and be followed. Attention is again being drawn to the ark. What they saw as the presence of God. Their attention's being drawn right there. And the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. He's saying, follow God. Follow God because He's going first. The priest must enter the water first before any of the promised miracle will take place. Faith lived out in action. He says you have to obey first. You have to step out in faith first. 
before the promise will come to pass. And God's saying the same thing to to us today. We must listen to God and follow our leader if we are going to see the results of this peninsula being radically changed in a healthy spiritual way. We're coming to a decision point. He closes this chapter. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dipped into the edge of the water. And it's interesting because he makes sure that we know that the Jordan's flooding. For the Jordan overflows all of its banks during the whole time of the harvest. That This is a rushing river. This isn't a little puddle. This isn't a stream. But this is a river that's flowing, that is literally overflowing its banks. That when they stepped into the water and they were all in, what happened? The waters which came down from upstream stood still, rose in a heap very far away at Adam. The waters that went down into the Sea of Arabah, the salt sea failed, and they were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. So what do we see? They set out as they were told. The priest first, and then the people following. I wonder what they were thinking as they saw the ark approach the swollen river. I wonder what was crossing their mind. Is this going to work? Did I really hear from God? You know, God, you know, strengthened my faith. I wonder what they were thinking as their most cherished possession stepped into the flood. Their very picture of God. Do you understand that Joshua had to have faith to lead? God, Moses is dead. Did I really hear you right? The Ark of the Covenant is the most cherished thing, the most powerful thing that we have. And God, you're telling me to put it in the river. Did I hear from you? He had to have faith in what God was leading him to do. And he had to have faith and real confidence to look into the eyes of the priest and say, you're carrying the ark. And you're going to go stand in that river. And I know that it's flooding. And I know at any moment that your feet could be cut out from under you and and you and the ark and everything else could be washed down the river. But this is what God told me and I'm telling you, go stand in the river. He had to have confidence. He had to have faith and confidence in the priest. Can you imagine the priest? 
At least they had 40 years of experience with Moses. And now this upstart Joshua is saying, go stand in the river. Carry the ark into the river. The ark's a couple of hundred pounds. There's a number of us with these long poles and we're carrying it on our shoulders. And he's saying, go walk into the river. I hope you heard from God because my life depends on it. And they had to look into the eyes of their leader and say, I trust you. I trust God and therefore I trust you. And they had to step out. And they did. And you realize the people would also have to have faith. Because none of them saw the Red Sea part. Except for the two. And they've been watching this river rush for three days and they'd seen what floods can do and they knew at any moment that those waters could come back down and they didn't know am I going to step on dry ground am I going to step in muddy ground and you know is God going to wipe me out because of my grumbling wait till we get in the middle of this and just let the waters go and start over they they had to have faith that God was who he said he was going to be and step out The priest entered the water, and the water stopped, and the riverbed became dry. All the people saw the miracle. They experienced it together. They shared in the miracle, and they crossed into the promised land. They crossed over. See, Joshua 3 is a picture of what it means to abide in the Lord, to draw strength from Him, to draw confidence from Him, to draw hope from Him, to draw guidance from Him, and to have our faith strengthened by Him. Joshua 3 is a picture of individuals coming to a place of personal faith. And it's a picture of those individuals acting as a community in faith to act on what God had called. They had to choose to cross the Jordan to follow the Lord. They had to act on that choice and put their faith into action. And the choice and the action together released and strengthened their faith. My question to you this morning is, what about you? What about your walk? Where are you at today? What about us as a body? Are we going to take back the peninsula in faith? Are we going to engage in the battle? Are we going to trust God that He will actually do what He said He would do? Are we going to trust our leadership and are we going to step out and act on that faith? In just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity 
to make that commitment very real. This is what we're going to do. If God is speaking to you this morning, and you know that you're ready and willing to 100% commit to Him to be all in, that you're ready and willing to engage in prayer, regular prayer, fasting, reading the Word on a regular basis, that you're willing to pick up the spiritual weapons of battle and to take back this community, to take back this peninsula and understand that call. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a minute to stand and to make that commitment very public. I know some here are not at that place yet, and I want to encourage you, there's no judgment here. If you're not at that place, don't stand. That's okay. God's still working in a number of people and a number of things going on, but if you know that you're at that place of commitment to say, God, I'm all in, 100%. No matter what comes down the path, no matter what reversals we may experience, I'm all in. You have me 100%. And then you're willing to commit to walking that out. I'm not talking about being perfect, but I am talking about more days than not praying. I am talking about seeking God's face about personal fasting times and fasting. I'm talking about when the church calls a fast, that you engage in that fast and understand that God's leading the church and that prayer. And then as we begin to make these trips and go from the top to the bottom of our community and we begin to literally go walk on the land and to take it back. Every place where our foot shall land, that God, we would expect God to do something there. If you're ready to commit, then stand to your feet. And you're making that commitment to God. If you're ready to commit, stand to your feet. I want you to be aware of the people around you. Because when we enter a battle, there is, has to be a esprit de corps, a sense of camaraderie. We need those to have our backs that are in battle with us. We need to fight this fight together. We need to be able to enter into battle with the understanding that where I'm weak, Leo might be strong. Where I fall, that you may stand. And when you fall, I'm going to be there to lift you up as a brother in Christ. Because we are entering a battle, make no mistake. As we make this declaration, the enemy is going to come against us. He's going to come against us personally, individually, and he's going to come against us corporately. And we have to be prepared for that battle because we can't shrink back. Because we've stood and said, God, I'm in the battle, even if it costs me my life. That's all right. This life is temporal. Your life's eternal. If something happens that I don't totally understand, I'm not going to give up, God, because I'm not going to understand every order of my commanding officer. 
but I'll execute it because I know he has a plan and that his plan is for this community to come back to faith in God. That's the battle we're entering. Amen?